it's time to be equipped with spiritual battle. Defending the Faith is a show to train Christians worldwide to be effective teachers and speakers on the subject of biblical creation so that the next generation can stand firm on the biblical truth and defend their faith. Now here is your host of Defending the Faith, Mike Riddle. Welcome to Defending the Faith. I'm your host, Mike Riddle. And again, our show is about teaching on the topic of creation, evolution, and biblical apologetics. In other words, how to defend your faith, why you believe the Bible and not other religious books. Well, our ministry is called Creation Training Initiative, and you can find us on the web at creationtraining.org. That's all one word, creationtraining.org. We also encourage you to email us with your comments or questions about creation evolution, and you can do this by going to info, that's I-N-F-O at creationtraining.org. We'd like to hear from you. Again, your questions or comments, that's info, I-N-F-O at creationtraining.org. Now, our topic today, very interesting topic, handling biblical objections to a literal six-day creation. What a topic, handling biblical objections to a literal six-day creation. Now, in previous sessions, I went through some rules for interpreting Scripture. These rules we called the principles of biblical hermeneutics, or hermeneutics. That's the study of written language, how we're supposed to interpret language. And we went through three of these rules. One was called context. We're supposed to take words in the context they use, not put our opinions in there. We learned that if something is explicitly stated, it has priority over something that can be applied. And then we looked at what is the purpose of communication. Also, in a previous session, we dealt with how long were the days of creation. I showed using these principles of hermeneutics, the days of creation in Genesis 1 were literal 24-hour days. We saw that a day with a number is always a day. When a day comes with evening and morning around it, it always means a day. Then in the Ten Commandments, we showed in commandment number 4, Exodus 20, verse 11, God specifically wrote down in commandment number 4 that he created everything in six little days. And that's the principle of communications right there. God is communicating to us. Would he write down six days if he meant something other than six literal days? But the problem here is, folks, there are many out there who do not accept this as a proper interpretation of the days of creation. So we want to look at some of these claims, why people don't accept the days of creation were six literal days. And I'd like to start with a few examples just to show you the word day, how it's used outside of Genesis 1 with a number. Let's take, for example, Genesis chapter 4, verse 4. Genesis chapter 7, excuse me, Genesis chapter 7, verse 4, and it states this. For after seven more days, I will cause it to rain on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. Now, is there any doubt that the word day there means a day and not long periods of time. It's pretty easy, folks. The context of the word day there means a day, not a long period of time. Let's go to Exodus 20, verse 10, and we read, But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. Now, that day has to mean a little day. If that day means long ages, folks, then we shouldn't be doing much work at all because it says, In it you shall do no work. So we should do no work for a long and definite period of time. But folks, when the day has a number with it, it always means a literal day. Leviticus chapter 13, verse 6, it reads, Then the priest shall examine him again on the seventh day. It means a day. 
Deuteronomy 10, chapter 10, verse 10. As at the first time, I stayed in the mountain 40 days and 40 nights, and the Lord also heard me at that time, and the Lord chose not to destroy you. The word day there means day, not 40 long indefinite periods of time. Then we turn to the book of Numbers, chapter 10, verse 11. Now it came to pass on the 20th day of the second month in the second year that the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle of the testimony. 20th day there, folks, means 20 days, not 20 long indefinite periods of time. Joshua, chapter 9, verse 17. Then the children of Israel journeyed and came to their cities on the third day. That means a day, not on the third long indefinite period of time. Then in 2 Kings, chapter 25, verse 3, we read, By the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine had become so severe in the city that there was no food for the people of the land. Ninth day means ninth day, not nine long indefinite periods of time. There is no doubt that in each one of these cases, a day means a literal day. And in each case, there's a number of the word day. Why, then, would Genesis 1 be any different? We see a number used with the day in each case. Why do people want to take Genesis 1 differently than they do anywhere else in the Bible? Because they've been influenced by the world, not by God's word. Now, the word day can occasionally be used to refer to periods of time longer than 24 hours. That We know that. However, whenever it's used with a number or with evening and morning, it always means a literal day. But we're going to take a look at two very popular arguments used to support the days of creation were long ages. We're going to look at the day-age theory today and the gap theory. We'll look at both of those. Both of these, again, are commonly used to support the earth must be millions or billions of years old. So let's look at the day-age theory. The day's theory is the idea that each of the days of creation were long ages, perhaps millions of years each. Now, to support this claim, they commonly use 2 Peter 3.8. Now, what does 2 Peter 3.8 have to say? Well, it reads this way. But, beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. Now, what is this telling us? Well, right there when we read that, it teaches a day can be a thousand years or maybe a long indefinite period of time. That's what people are using to support the days of creation could also be a long period of time. Now, are three things we need to note about this verse. Number one, one of the rules of hermeneutics is called context. When we look at the context of 2 Peter 3, it knows we look at the verses above it and the verses below it. What we note is 2 Peter 3.8 is not referring to the beginning. It is not referring to the book of Genesis. It is referring to the end times and the attributes of God. It is telling us that God created time. He's not bound by time. So the context does not support the days of creation were long periods of time. It has nothing to do with the days of creation. A second part of this verse, there's a very important word in this verse. The word as makes this entire verse a simile or a figure of speech. This means it is not meant to be taken literally. Now, let me give you some examples of a figure of speech. If I were to point out there at a person running on the track and say, wow, he runs like a gazelle. Well, I'm not calling that person an animal. 
I'm saying, using a figure of speech or painting a picture, he runs like a gazelle. No, he runs gracefully and fast. That is a figure of speech. The word like turns this into a figure of speech. Or how about if I looked out my window and said, wow, it's raining like cats and dogs out there. Now, I'm not literally saying cats and dogs are coming down from the clouds. I'm using a figure of speech saying it is a heavy downpour. In other words, figures of speech are types of language used to express an idea using imagery. They're not meant to be taken literally. And this is 2 Peter 3.8. It uses the word as, which turns it into a simile or a figure of speech, painting a picture not meant to be taken literally. Nowhere in Genesis 1 do we see words like or as. The word day in Genesis 1 is meant to be taken literally. And part three, our conclusion that we can draw from this is that people using 2 Peter 3.8 to make the days of creation long ages are actually taking God's word out of context. Ladies and gentlemen, we should not be misusing God's word for our own benefit. Therefore, the day-age theory is false. It's a false interpretation of God's word. Now let's go to the second part, the gap theory. This one's going to be a little more involved. Gap theorists, it is another idea used to support long ages. Now we're going to approach this gap theory in four points. I want to keep this organized, four points. Number one, we're going to talk about what is the gap theory. Two, reasons why we have a gap theory. Three, biblical texts that have been used to support the gap theory. And fourth, we'll draw a conclusion. So point one, what is the gap theory? Well, the gap theory is also called the ruin reconstruction theory. It goes like this. We have Genesis 1-1, stop, let's insert a large gap of time, and then we start up again with Genesis 1-2. So here's how it reads. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Stop, insert a large gap of time, millions or billions of years, then we start up again. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Question. What was going on during this large gap of time? Why did they want to insert that large gap of time? Well, there's many versions of the gap theory, but the most popular one is that during this time, Satan comes down and destroys the entire world, and then in Genesis 1-2, God begins recreating everything. Therefore, Therefore, the gap theory teaches a first creation, which is destroyed, and then a recreation. So that's an idea of the gap theory. It's a large gap of time between the first two verses of the Bible. Now, point two, why did people invent the gap theory? Because it's certainly not heard of by the apostles. Well, the reason for the gap theory was not invented because of the way the Bible reads, but because of what some theologians thought the scientists had proven. Some theologians were under the impression that scientists had proven the earth was millions of years old. However, rather than trusting Scripture, they look for a place to insert these alleged millions of years. And I point out alleged millions of years. We will have a topic in the future that covers these dating methods and the age of the earth. I'll let you know right now, real quickly, 
You cannot prove this earth is billions of years old. That goes beyond the limits of science. Now back to the gap theory. Since the gap theorists wanted to maintain a literal six-day creation, they inserted a gap of time between the first two verses. By doing this, they could keep, keep each of day, they could keep each of God's days of creation as literal days, and also have an old earth to go along with what the scientists had allegedly alleged proven. So what they've done here, Genesis one one, we want to keep a six-day creation. So rather than change the length of the days. We'll insert billions of years between the first two chapters. Then God comes back and recreates everything in six literal days. Now, these theologians were allowing outside. Now, get this. These theologians were allowing outside information to influence the meaning of Scripture, as many do today. Ladies and gentlemen, there are dangers to doing this, letting outside information influence the plain meaning of Scripture. Number one. If that's your, what you're doing, Scripture can no longer be used to interpret Scripture. We can no longer have full trust in the planning reading of God's Word. Number two, if you're allowing outside information influence your reading of Scripture, since our understanding of the scientific evidence is constantly changing, it means what we believe about the Bible will also have to change. You know, the earth didn't all of a sudden become six days to four and a half billion years, it underwent many changes. At first, they thought it was millions of years, then tens of millions, then hundreds of millions, then billions. Do we have to continue to change our understanding of the Bible based on what some scientists believe to know about the scientific evidence? No. And third, we are told repeatedly not to add or subtract from God's Word. For example, in Proverbs chapter 30, verse 6, it says, Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you, and you be found a liar. Wow! I would say, based on that, we should not add things into God's word that are not there. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 2, You shall not add to the word which I command you, nor take from it that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. Again, let's not go adding things that are not there. Let's read God's word for what it tells us. Now, here's a very stern warning coming out of Revelation chapter 22, verses 18 and 19. Now, this deals with the book of prophecy, a very strong warning. And it states, For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. What a powerful warning about changing God's word in the book of Revelation. Then in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 17, it reads, The first one to plead his cause seems right until his neighbor comes and examines him. What is that telling us? Folks, our youth are out there hearing an awful lot about evolutionism, and that seems to be right to them. But if you go and examine the scriptures, you'll find out that is false every case. In other words, we need to be like the Bereans and examine the scriptures. As Christians, we must start with God's word as truth. As it states in John 17, 17, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. 
That word sanctifying means we need to be set apart by his word, not be in the world, not be like the world, but be set apart from the world. His word is truth, and as Christians, we need to accept that. Now, point three about the gap theory. Let's examine some of the biblical texts that have been used to support the gap theory. And let's start with the word was in Genesis 1-2. Now, the word was, that's a verb, and the Hebrew word for was is hayah. And it reads this way, the earth was without form and void. People supporting the gap theory interpret the verb was to mean became, making it read this way. Instead of the earth was without form and void, they read the earth became without form and void. This denotes some change of condition, something happened. That gives the indication that God's initial creation was good, but then something went wrong. In this case, Satan came down and destroyed everything. The question is, can that verb hayah be translated became? And the answer is, yes, it can. But only, get this again, only when the context warrants it. And in this case, it does not. Let me read a couple of quotes from people who understand language. Charles Taylor has his Ph.D. in linguistics. He's also a professor of theology, and he states, It's true that the word sometimes means became, but A, such a translation is rare, and B, when it means became, it is normally preceded by a preposition meaning to. In this case, folks, it is not preceded by a preposition. Then we have Weston Fields. He has his Ph.D. in the Bible. He's also a professor of classical languages, and he states, Recognized grammarians, lexographers, those are the people who write the Hebrew dictionaries, and linguists have almost uniformly rejected the translations became or had become. There you have it. That is, the word translated became is incorrect. Now, a few instances. The Hebrew word hayah, the Hebrew word for was or became, is translated as became. In each case, a declarative statement indicating a change of condition occurs. However, there's no such statement in Genesis 1 verses 1 and 2 declaring a change in condition. This means the grammatically correct translation should be was, not became. Our conclusion, the gap theorists are misusing the language. Now let's turn to a second area word that gap theorists use, and it comes from the King James Bible, and it's the word replenish. And the King James Bible reads this way, and God blessed them, and God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Now, let me read that same verse in several other Bibles. The New King, New King James Bible reads this way, then God blessed them, and God sent to them, said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. The NASB, New American Standard Bible, reads this way. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Now, the word replenish in the King James Version is used to argue, they use that to argue that God's original creation was good, but was destroyed and needed to be refilled. That's what the gap theorists are using. They're playing off the King James Bible there. Now, the Hebrew word is male, and it literally means, when you look this up, it literally means to fill. Now, is the King James Bible wrong here? No, it is not. Let me clarify this. 
the King James Bible, when it uses the word replenish, is not wrong here. We must understand something about language. When the King James Bible was written in the early 1600s, the word for replenish meant to fill, not refill. Since the King James Bible was written, that word has undergone a definition change because today it means refill. For, for example, let me give you some examples here about words changing. If I were to enter your home today and look down at the floor and state, wow, there's a mouse on the floor, you might get a little bit nervous and think we're talking about a little hairy, furry rodent. However, today I'd most likely be talking about a computer component. In other words, that word mouse has had some added definitions. It can mean a small fuzzy rodent, but it can also mean a mouse used on a computer. So words do change definitions. How about this one? If I were to approach you 30 years ago and look right at you and said, do you Twitter? You might take that as an offense. That is because Twitter today has a different meaning. It means some form of communication via electronic equipment. So you see, there's words that are added to our dictionary and words undergo definition changes. Just as the King James Bible, the word replenish has undergone a definition change. So the King James Bible, folks, is not wrong there. We must understand language. And once again, the gap theorists are misusing the language. Again, the correct translation is fill, not refill. Now, let's go to another word that is commonly used by the gap theorists. It is the conjunction and. Can these two verses, Genesis 1-1 and 1-2, be split apart in time? In other words, does the grammar split apart? We're going to look at the word and there. And in the Hebrew language, that word is voile, spelled W-A-W. The first W is a soft V, so we pronounce it voile. You didn't know you were going to get a Hebrew lesson here. Now, this conjunction and can take on several meanings depending on the context. Let's just look at three of these. One, it can have, we're going to look at a voile consecutive. We're going to look at a voile disjunctive first. The voile consecutive is used to continue a sequence of events. The voile disjunctive adds an explanation to the first previous verse. In other words, it adds details to the story. Then there's a third possibility. These are two separate events. Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2 are completely two separate events. Now, in the case of Genesis 1-1 and 1-2, verse 2 is actually what we call a voile disjunctive because it's adding information. It's adding details to verse 1. Let's see what these two verses read. Verse 1 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 2 then reads, The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving on the surface of the waters. Verse 2 simply further describes the condition of the newly created earth. It is not a change of condition. It adds details to the first verse. Therefore, these two verses cannot be split apart in time. They must be consecutive. So again, the gap theorists are misusing the language, making claims that are not really there. 
We need to pay attention to the language, God's Word, and not misuse it. And finally, about the gap theory. There are many serious problems with the gap theory besides misuse of the language. See, the gap theory presupposes millions and billions of years. Now, what was going on in those millions and billions of years? Well, the fossil record would have occurred there. Most of the fossils would have been laid down there. In other words, you know what fossils are? They are the record of dead things, which means the gap theory teaches death before sin, death, decay, and disease before sin. That is what the gap theory teaches. Because in Genesis 1-1, God creates the heaven and the earth, then Satan comes down, destroys everything, then God recreates everything. In other words, Adam and Eve don't come along for a while longer. So the Gat theory clearly teaches death before sin, which undermines the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Gat theory also turns God's very good in Genesis 1.31 to include death and destruction. In other words, God just called all those dead things very good. Then the Gat theory also talks about a recreation, which is nowhere mentioned in the Bible. The Gat theory clearly is wrong, folks. We've looked at two common arguments against the days of creation being literal days, the dates theory and the gap theory. Both are false interpretations of God's Word. You've been listening to Defending the Faith. I'm your host, Mike Riddle. And ladies and gentlemen, you might consider supporting this program so that we can continue to get the truth of God's Word out to as many people as we can. You can do this by going online to our website, creationtraining.org, or you can send your gifts to CTI. Post Office Box 2415, Eagle, Idaho, 83616. That's CTI, Post Office Box 2415, Eagle, Idaho, 83616. You've been listening to Defending the Faith, and don't forget, in the beginning, God created. Thank you, and God bless. That's all for today's show. Defending the Faith airs each Saturday at noon right here on KBXL 94.1 The Voice. For more teachings and resources, visit creationtraining.org or the program archive page on 941thevoice.com.